Praise the Lord, Spirit and Truth podcast listeners. My name is Pastor Joshua Koppel, and today my topic is the Easter story. In preparation for our Easter service, our Easter Sunday coming up on April 17th, where we have a 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and a 3 p.m. Spanish service, we are going to read through Luke 22, 23, and 24 together. So if you're driving, then maybe just sit back, relax, and just listen. I'm going to be reading through the King James Version of the Apostolic Study Bible. Uh, this is a UPCI-created study Bible that is available on PentecostalPublishingHouse.com. So I'm going to be reading through Luke 22, 23, and 24, and I'm going to include some of the commentary as well. And I'm also going to include some of my own thoughts. If, uh, if anything is sparked, I'm going to share and if you're taking notes, if you're sitting reading through with me, then maybe pause here and there and have a, a journal ready or, or a phone or something to take notes and really get the most out of this story in preparation for the upcoming Sunday service, April 17th. So, in Luke 22, um, the title of this section, this first section, is Conspiracy Against Jesus, Compact with Judas. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So first off, this verse marks the transition to Luke's Passion narrative in which Jesus suffered, died, and resurrected. Technically, Passover was followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, though these jointly held Jewish celebrations were popularly thought of as a single festival. These observances had held a long and venerated importance for the nation, commemorating Israel's liberation from Israel in Egypt. So if you remember the night of Passover in Egypt where the angel of the Lord needed to pass over your household so that your firstborn would be safe, remember all that, all that stuff that happened so long ago where they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Well, that's, that's what this Passover is commemorating. And the priests, the chief priests and scribes, sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad, and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So with their previous attempts to capture Jesus being thwarted, the religious establishment's fortune changed when one of Jesus' followers approached them with a secret proposal to betray him. The proposed treachery did not simply reflect bad judgment on Judas's part, for the inspiration behind his plan was thoroughly diabolical in its origin. This next section is called the Last Supper. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go, and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall shew you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. 
So in, in a scene that is reminiscent of Jesus' instructions to his disciples to prepare for his triumphant entry, Jesus directed Peter and John to make arrangements for the Passover meal. The Last Supper would be held on the second floor of a home in Jerusalem, in which the room had already been prepared for them. The host was evidently a sympathizer. The careful behind-the-scenes arrangement suggests Jesus' whereabouts were being kept secret from the authorities. So, this was done in secret. This Last Supper was not something that they were telling everybody about, they were proclaiming, and that's probably why the Last Supper just had Jesus and the 12 disciples there instead of a, a large group, because he could have had a huge group there, but remember, this is, this is in secret. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. While Jesus had eagerly looked forward to this fellowship with his disciples, it would have been their last meal together prior to his resurrection. So you can see he's giving them a lot of uh, heavy information right here, and we're going to see how they take it. 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So, Luke frequently recorded that Jesus attended and spoke about meals. This special Passover meal was richly laden with symbolism in that it anticipated and would memorialize Jesus' sacrificial death. The bread symbolized his body. The wine represented the blood of the new covenant that he would inaugurate. Moving to verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goeth, as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. So, obviously, we know that this is Judas. Um, to betray a trusted friend at table fellowship was an appalling, treacherous act, one which Judas would later deeply regret. So in Jewish culture, to be betray someone during a meal was a big deal, and I, I guess we feel the same way today. <laughs> Moving to verse 23, they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. So it's kind of interesting here, you're seeing they're worried who's going to betray him, but they're also wondering who's who's accounted to be the greatest. So they're, they're kind of all over the place at this meal. Um, the commentary says, During a particularly grave and somber moment, as the disciples tried to determine the identity of the betrayer, some resorted once again to extreme pettiness, quarreling over who would be the greatest. So not not looking good if Jesus is about to embark on this last huge venture and his disciples are kind of squabbling about who's going to be in charge or who's going to betray him. So it's, it's not looking good. 25. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. 
but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Yet are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus is clearly telling them right now that serving others is more important than finding out who's going to be the king, who's going to be chief. And he's shown this with his whole life, and he's trying to get them to understand this because it's going to be pivotal for them when Jesus ascends to heaven that the 12 disciples will lead in a great way so that others will see that serving is important, that they won't be just squabbling and fighting for control. That's how the world is when it comes to power. But we, we of Jesus's family, we know that it matters more about how much we serve in this life. So next going on to 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. So Peter is always ready to go when it comes to his voice, but we'll see how he is with his actions. 34. And he said, I tell thee, Peter... The rooster shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. So there it is, the the, the saying from God, he's saying to Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Even though Peter just said, well, I'm ready to die, I'm ready to go to prison, whatever you need, I'm, I'm ready to do it. But Jesus knows, he knows what's going to happen. 35. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything and they said nothing so he's telling them you've always had what you need 36 then said he unto them but now he that hath a purse let him take it and likewise his scrip and he that hath no sword let him sell his garment and buy one for i say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me and he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end so right here in, in 37 and 30, 36, during the previous missionary expeditions, the disciples had relied on their supporters' compassion and charity. But now Jesus' sympathizers had left him to fend for himself. With his sacrificial death just around the corner, Jesus would soon be accounted among the transgressors. From this point onward, the disciples would undertake drastic measures just to survive. So he's warning them. He's saying, coming up, it's going to be tough. It's you're not going to have everything like you have right now where it's always provided for. You're going to be on the run sometimes. You're going to be persecuted. He's warning them it's about to escalate. <clears throat> and they said unto they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. So it's, it's funny because he immediately starts to, you know, he tells them about how they're going to need some things in the future. And they immediately start looking for swords, looking for weapons to defend themselves. And he tells them two is enough. It's it's not it's not that you need to all be armed or whatever. It's two is enough. And so I'm sure the disciples right now, you can tell they're in a kind of a interesting headspace. There's some anxieties rising to the top in them, and they're kind of like, what's going on? They're not sure. Because remember, 
it seems like they were really, really hoping, in my opinion, and we were really hoping that he would just take down the Roman Empire, become an emperor maybe, I'm not sure, but they were hoping he would just do all this on earth. But remember, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's not an earthly kingdom like America or Great Britain or or China or any of these places. It's not. It's a heavenly kingdom. So we're not living for this world and the disciples are going to quickly learn that. We're living for heaven. We're living for the hereafter. So this next section is called Agony in the Garden. You probably remember this. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. This is a good prayer for everyone. So praying that we enter not into temptation. That's one that we should all be practicing. And the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, this is the garden they're at, located along the western foot of the Mount of Olives, served as the setting in which Jesus and his disciples customarily would go pray. So they would often go pray here. And he was withdrawn from them. We're we're at 41 now. About a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. So He walks a little bit away, and Jesus prays. 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That needs to be our prayer. When Easter Sunday rolls around, and even before, throughout our life, we need to be praying, not not my will, but thine be done. We need to be doing the will of the Lord. So you can tell in this moment, Jesus is modeling the ideal prayer for us, for us as disciples. First, he offered supplications, but he acquiesced to the Father's will. So we offer supplications, we offer our needs to the Lord, but we acquiesce to the will of God. And that's always the best way. And sometimes in our prayers, God says yes, he answers it right away. Sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. But with all those answers, his will is better than our own. That's what gives us peace, is trusting that. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray lest ye enter into temptation. How many times have we needed to pray in a moment and we were, in our in our minds, we felt too tired. We felt like, man, I just can't pray right now. I'm just sapped. I have no energy, no strength. Well, that's where the disciples were. It's been a pretty intense uh, meal and, and night and there's a lot that's been told to them by God. And so they're just kind of, you know, they're tired. So they, they pass out, they fall asleep. Whereas Jesus pushed on. And he's kind of, he's the model. He's the example. He pushed on in prayer because prayer was needed. Now, this next section is Jesus' arrest, so you know what's coming. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. So he betrayed him with a kiss. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? So he's, he's asking the question now. The commentary says a token normally indicating goodwill and camaraderie here in the Middle Eastern kiss was exploited as a treacherous signal by which the arresting party could identify Jesus. So in in Middle Eastern culture, this is normally goodwill, camaraderie. This is a good thing. But 
Judas is actually betraying Jesus in this moment, so it's being twisted. 49. When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? So the disciples were ready to go. They had their two swords, and they were ready to fight. 50. And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. So even in this moment, Jesus is still loving his enemies. He's still loving. The The Bible says there's two greatest commandments. Love God and love others. Jesus is still loving others even to the last moment. He's the perfect example for us. Now, uh, neither Jesus' followers nor his opponents could understand the true nature of his kingdom. So they didn't really get the kingdom of God, okay? One disciple, and it's identified as Peter if you read this story in John, could not wait for Jesus' answer as to whether they should use lethal force and resist arrest. So he didn't even wait, he just did it. How many times in life do we, like Peter, jump the gun? We go ahead and enforce what we are hoping is God's will, but it's not. Well, Peter did that, and somebody lost an ear. The authorities would interpret the attempt to slay high priest's servant as an act of insurrection. So, Jesus did not want his ministry to be tainted as insurrection. He didn't want his disciples' ministry to be tainted as that. Because we are not called to war in this world against flesh and blood. You've read that verse. It's, it's against the spirits and principalities. So, Jesus quickly healed the man and kind of told the disciples to calm down, back off, and then he went with them. 52. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, But ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretch forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. So Peter is following closely behind. It seems like the other disciples just booked it. They disappeared. They ran away. They were scared. And it's it's great because Jesus gets, he gets, in my opinion, the last jab in. And he reminds them, man, I've, I've given my life for you guys, for you people. I've been healing you. I've been, you know, dying. I'm crying tears of blood for you. I'm, I'm giving my whole life for you guys. But this is this is your hour and it's the power of darkness. This is a, a dark time and people are stumbling. People are messing up. They're failing. Now, this next section is Jesus before Caiaphas and the fall of Peter. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. So remember, Peter, he's, he's following close behind. He's the guy who said, I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. Whatever you need, Jesus. Well, let's see. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him, him being Jesus. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. So there's strike one. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Strike two. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he had spoke, the rooster crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. So it it, it appears that Jesus was a, a, a bit off. He was a little far away, but he could still see Peter. 
And Peter remembered that the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the rooster crows, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So that's that's just a huge moment because Peter, who was diehard, he's a big mouth, always confident when the guys are around. You know, he's a great Christian when everybody's around, but in this moment, when it all comes down to it, he's out in the world and he can't be a good witness. Well, I want to encourage you today, whoever's listening, you can be a good witness. And Easter Sunday is a wonderful place to start. You can invite through your social media. You can invite at your workplace. You can invite your family. You can invite people at the restaurants you're going to. You can, everybody needs Jesus. You can invite your friends. We have got to invite. When we get our opportunities, Peter got three opportunities. He failed each time. Let that not be said of us. All right, this next section is called Jesus Condemned to Die. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. So smote, they hit him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. So they're just cursing him. They're yelling at him. These, these men are, are harming Jesus. And as, they soon, and as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? So remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah. So they're really asking him, do you believe that you're the Messiah, the one who's supposed to come and save the Jewish people and the world? Tell us. And he said unto them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. So he's just turning everything back on them. He's saying, you guys have been saying this, not me. So what do you think? 71. And they said, what need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. So the council here, or the Sanhedrin, this is the elite 70-member body of elders who govern Jewish affairs. So they're administering Jesus' second interrogation. Now, knowing their stubborn resistance to his claims, Jesus refused to directly answer their first question, responding instead with a telling prediction that was clearly messianic in its implications. So, he's, he's kind of messing with them. The Sanhedrin considered Jesus' response, where he says, you rightly say that I am, to their second question, basically as blasphemy and sufficient enough to condemn him. So, for a human to say that they're God, that's enough for them. Now... This is God. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God, which is God robed in flesh. This is who this is. But, again, remember, the Sanhedrin and these Jewish people, they, they did not see him as God. And so, they're, they're missing it. So, this next chapter, chapter 23, starts with Jesus before Pilate. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying... We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. So they're taking him to Pilate. So now it's moving out of Jewish administration, moving into the Roman administration. And it's it's pretty silly because they're they're lying about him quite a bit. But again, they just need to give Pilate some reasons so that he can actually carry this out. Because at this point, the Jewish people were under the control, under the law of the Romans. So, Pilate is the authority. That's where they're going. 
Verse 3. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. So they're they're not liking the fact that Pilate is looking at Jesus and, and not really seeing the problem that the Jewish people see. Now, this next section is Jesus before Herod. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. So we're, we're moving Jesus around. He's gone through the Sanhedrin. He's going to Pilate. Now he's heading over to Herod. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he was desirous to see him for a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answereth him nothing. So Herod is a guy who's just wanting to see basically some magic in his mind. He, he wants to see miracles. He wants to see all these things. And that's kind of all he wants. He's He's not looking to serve God or to live for God. He's just just wanting to see a show. That's the kind of man he is. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, sent him again to Pilate. So since Jesus wouldn't um, be a plaything and he wouldn't just, you know, be a puppet and do whatever Herod wanted, Herod chose the side of the Sanhedrin and, and he said, okay, let's put him in a gorgeous robe, pretend like, you know, they're mocking him, pretend like he's a king, give him a, the crown of thorns is coming and, and all this. So, and then he sends him back to Pilate. So Herod doesn't doesn't weigh in, doesn't free him. He lets him go back to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. So you see, the um, powers of darkness are are pretty much teaming up in this moment. It's not just the Sanhedrin and their twisted theology. It's not just Pilate and the Roman Empire. It's, it's Herod. There are many people arraying against God, and this is similar to how it's going to be when Jesus returns again. So, jumping ahead. Now, this next section is Jesus again before Pilate delivered up to be crucified. And Pilate, when he had ruled together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. So again, Pilate finds no fault in Jesus. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. So he expected maybe Herod would execute him, and apparently it seems Herod had the authority to do so, but he didn't. I will therefore chastise him and release him. So 23.16, this verse where he says, I will therefore chastise him and release him, it shows that by stopping short of capital punishment, of actually killing Jesus, Pilate perhaps thought that flogging might discourage Jesus from continuing his controversial teachings. Maybe it would also placate his accusers and maybe drum up some sympathy for Jesus, but he was dead wrong. Moving on to 17. 
for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. So Pilate already at this feast every year he had to release one prisoner. So he was hoping he to release Jesus. He thought, I see no fault in this man. It would be great to, we'll flog him a bit. We'll try to please the Sanhedrin and the Jewish people, but then we'll release him and we'll move on and, and everything will be fine. To Pilate, he's not worried or caring about the religions or the disputes. He just He just is doing his job. And he doesn't really care, but he doesn't understand that he is holding on trial, the God of the universe. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. And this is obviously a big deal, because uh, verse 19 says, Who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. So Barabbas is a horrible, horrible guy. But these people are so twisted, and they're so unsure and they just don't believe that this is truly God that they're willing to take Barabbas over Jesus and how many of us in life if you want to apply this to yourself and you can how many of us are unwilling to take this Christian lifestyle over the lifestyles that we see out in the world sometimes because we just haven't recognized it for the power it is that Jesus truly did die for our sins and he really did have his blood pled over us so that we don't have to live in sin and we can live a free life and our families can be made whole and and all this we just don't recognize well the jewish people did not recognize any of this at this point either verse 20 Pilate, therefore willing to release jesus spake again to them but they cried saying crucify him crucify him and he said unto them the third time why what evil hath he done I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. So Pilate, this is his second time saying, let's just let him go. But it's his third time saying, I found no evil in him. 23. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. So those against prevailed. There was some for, looks like Pilate and I guess you could throw Herod in because he didn't just put him to death. But there were many more against Jesus that day. 24. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. So he gave in. 25. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. So release Barabbas and then gave them Jesus to do with what they will. And here comes here comes the plan. Here comes what they've been desiring for so long, these, these evil people against Jesus. Although, remember, we can see ourselves in this crowd today because every time we sin, we put a divide between us and Jesus. Every time we choose to live outside of his will, we're basically saying, give us Barabbas. Verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. So there were some who were wailing and, and crying, and, and they were, and you'll see who's in the crowd coming up, but there were people that day who were saddened to see what was happening to Jesus Christ. 28. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren 
and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? So he's telling them, Don't feel bad for me, because I'm going on to heaven, I'm going on to glory, but you're going to have to live here on this earth where it's going to get to a day where people say it's better not to have children. And if you're listening to this podcast today, there are many today who believe that. And he's also saying there's going to be people who say, I'd rather a mountain would fall and crush me than have to live here. And if you know, there's a reason why suicide's increasing. There's a reason why young people are being filled with anxiety. It's because as the days draw near to Jesus's return, it gets darker. It gets darker. And that's why we've got to rely on Jesus Christ. We've got to put our faith in God and in the church. And that's why this Easter, we must remember that this is a moment where we can share this opportunity with others. Now, this next section is called Crucifixion and Death of the Lord Jesus. So this is this is that big climactic moment. 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. So these are the two on his right and left, these other two thieves. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one of the one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. So in this moment, Jesus is still, still forgiving. Crucifixion, it entailed a shameful and excruciatingly painful form of torture. This is the worst that you could get. Significantly, the soldiers positioned the cross of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, in the center between two convicted criminals. So Jesus is, even in the most horrible moments, Jesus and the cross is at the center of everything. 35. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, if he be Messiah, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin, and Hebrew, so that everyone could see. This is the king of the Jews. So you see right here, they're writing it in Greek, Latin, Hebrew. They want everyone to know who they're mocking, and they're putting that. But ironically, they're putting the truth in those big letters. So even when Jesus is being mocked, the truth is still being heard. Next section, the two thieves. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So in this moment, he's, he's being negative. He's being cynical. He's being sardonic. He's not being honest. But he's saying, save us, us and you. And ironically, you'll see what happens. 40. But the other answering rebuked him. So he rebuked the other thief. This is actually, we'll call him the good thief. And he says... Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That is our prayer, people of God. Remember me, O Lord. You want to get to heaven, and you want him to see you face to face and say, I know who you are. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You do not want to see Jesus face to face. And he tells you, depart from me. I knew you not. And this man knew it. The other man didn't get it. This guy, he got it. And 
Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. This is a big moment. These two verses, 44 and 45, highlight them. This is a big moment. Cosmic and sacred signs accompanied the final period of Jesus' suffering. Now, it was approximately between noon and 3 p.m. That's, that's the time period this was. Richly endowing it with symbolic meaning, the all-encompassing darkness, which was perhaps the result of a God-planned solar eclipse, suggested the encroaching day of the Lord's judgment. The torn curtain evidently signified that access to God's presence within the temple, within the church, think of SWC, it was previously barred to all but the high priest, but now it had been opened up to those cleansed by Christ's blood. Alternatively, it may have also indicated that God's presence had left the temple. So, no longer, today no longer is God's presence stuck in the holiest of holies. No, his spirit is all over the earth. It's a restraining force. It's a comforter. And it can be filled inside of us human beings today. We can be filled with the spirit of God. That is an amazing, amazing thing that God did for us at Calvary. This place is Calvary. This is this April Easter Sunday sermon, this little lesson, this verse, this is Calvary. This is the place where he opened it up to us. He opened up salvation to us, us Gentiles. And I'm sure most of you listening, if not all, are Gentiles to this podcast. But it wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for everyone. 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So at this point, Spirit of God, it goes on to do this next great work. So this is the death, and get ready because we got the burial and the resurrection coming. Signs following his death, his burial. This next section is the end of chapter 23. Now when the centurion, this is the Roman guard, he saw what was done, he glorified God, saying certainly this was a righteous man. So when, when God does what he does, people have to acknowledge this is Jesus. People cannot fight the true power of God. They can mock it. They can make fun of it. But when push comes to shove, people know that he is real. They know that there is a God and they know it's Jesus. 48. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. And he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. So this is a secret believer, Joseph. And he's a wealthy man, you'll see. 52. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. So it looks like Pilate gave in because verse 53 says, And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher, that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. So the day was the Sabbath. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and behold, the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So the day he's laid in the tomb, it looks like it's, it's the Sabbath day, 
the day of preparation. So he he dies on Friday, and then he's entombed on the Sabbath on Saturday, and then you'll see the third day's coming, and he's going to rise again on Sunday morning. So here we go. Let's get to Sunday morning. Chapter 24. Angelic announcement to the women and Peter's visit to the empty sepulcher. So Peter's coming back. That's going to be good. And we're going to get the angelic announcement. So now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. So remember, a stone had been rolled in place to make sure that nobody could take the body. So, and this was actually cool. God had, God had just uh, stirred up so much trouble that his enemies wanted to prove he couldn't rise again. So they put the stone there in place, but God is always going to get things done. He's always going to do what he wants to do. And so that stone got rolled away. Nevertheless, verse three, and they entered in and found not the body of Lord Jesus. So the body's gone. And at this point, they're still freaking out. So they're thinking somebody took the body. Lacking a little faith there, but here we go. Verse 4. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. These are angels. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. Remember, the disciples were twelve, but Judas is out, so now it's the eleven. Verse 10, It was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. So the first people to find out that Jesus is risen again are these women, and they go and they spread the news. 11, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. So the disciples are crushed, they're emotionally drained, so they are not hearing it right now. But verse 12, here it comes. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which come to pass. So Peter actually goes and checks. The others just refuse to believe. They refuse to, to do it. But you know what? Peter, he runs to the tomb to verify himself. So there's there's something going on in Peter. Something's changing. Next, next section. Christ appears to the two going to Emmaus. Verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which has happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? So it's interesting, these two disciples, one is named Cleopas, um, they were heading to Emmaus, roughly about seven miles from Jerusalem, but along the way they were discussing the recent disturbing events, and they were soon joined by the resurrected Jesus, but they failed to recognize him. Do not fail to recognize that Jesus is alive again. Do not fail to recognize the Spirit of God 
that comes upon you when you speak in tongues. Don't pass it off as psychology, mass hysteria, or or some trick that it's just because there's mob mentality. Everybody in the room speaks in tongues. That's why we're doing it. But this isn't real. No, no, no. The Spirit of God is real. This is the resurrected Christ. This is the Comforter. And not only can you be baptized in Jesus' name, but you can be baptized in the Spirit, and you can be filled. No longer is the Holy Spirit stuck in the temple. The veil is torn. Easter, let's remember this. Now, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. They didn't recognize him. And that's why he was asking, what are you guys talking about? Verse 18, and the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not thou known the things which are come to pass here in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they also had seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them, which were with us, went to the sepulchre and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, this part's great, O fools, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. There's times where God wishes to tarry with us. He wishes to come and spend time with us. And oftentimes it's when we're praying and reading our Bible. Right now they were speaking to God. So when you're praying, you're speaking to God. You're doing what these guys were doing on this road. So maybe go for a prayer walk like these guys did with Jesus walking with you and speak to him and tarry with him, spend time with him. Verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? So they just had like the best Bible study ever. Verse 33, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. This needs to be us. We need to be like these two. We need to be rushing around before April 17th, encouraging, inviting, witnessing, and sharing the good news so that our friends and family can come and receive the blessing and the gift of salvation and of a relationship with Jesus that we have now. This next section is Jesus appears to the disciples and his ascension, and this is the last section of Luke 24. 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed they that they had seen a spirit. And they had. Anyways, 38. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? 
Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed, not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. So Jesus is just proving them. He's saying, look, he's taking his time. He knows they've been through a lot. And that's how Jesus is with us. He takes his time and he loves on us. He knows he died for us. He knows he rose again for us on Sunday. He knows that he gave his Holy Spirit to us. He knows all that, but he still takes time to take care of us when we're bumbling and stumbling and and slowly following after him he loves us enough to do that and he took it and he did eat before them and he said unto them these are the words which i spake unto you while i was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of moses and in the prophets and in the psalms concerning me then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Pause. Verse 47, Luke 24, 47, repentance and remission of sins. This, he's saying, needs to be preached to everyone, and don't you worry, because in Acts 2.38, Peter is going to preach this, that big first sermon. Verse 48, And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Today as Christians, Christianity may seem when you look around like it's lacking in this power from on high, but do not doubt the fact that we are promised the Holy Spirit and power to see miracles, signs, wonders, healings, And sometimes it's healing that comes emotionally. Sometimes it's physically. Sometimes it's anxiety being ridden and and cast out of a body. Sometimes it's someone just growing closer again with family that drifted apart. That's, That's what God can do. But again, there is a promise for this Holy Spirit power. And we've got to push the limits with this. Verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So, this is the end of the Easter story. This is what we are moving towards on April 17th. This is what Easter is all about, is remembering this story and hiding it in our hearts and being like the apostles in verse 52 and 53 it said and they worshiped him they returned to jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing god amen so let's worship god let's start preparing our hearts let's fast let's pray let's be enjoying being christian let's enjoy this life that god has given us let's enjoy it so much we share it with others and we invite others and let's let's pack out the church house. Let's pack out God's house on April 17th. You got 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 3 p.m. Spanish service. Let's just pack it all out and let's let blessings continually be poured out into the temple and let's praise and bless God together. Amen.